Welcome to the Bethesda Church Podcast. We're so glad you've joined us today. If you'd like to contribute financially to this ministry, you can do so at BethesdaChurch.tv slash give and simply select the giving option that works best for you. Thanks again for joining us. We hope you enjoy today's message. so much for your giving. Good morning to you. Glad to see everybody in God's house. You did survive seven days of prayer and fasting. You guys got to be happy, right? Excited. The restaurants in eastern West Virginia and in Virginia better be look looking out today because I got a feeling some people are going to break out of the box and have a meal. Um, anybody excited to eat? Yeah. I'm going to do some damage today. I got a feeling. It's good to see you today. Come on, encourage someone. Tell them, man, it looks like you've been working out. (laughs) Come on, tell somebody else. It looks like you've been working out. Yeah, encourage them. Um, We've been in a series over the last couple weeks called Break the Box, and uh, we're going to conclude that series today. Um, I'm excited about it because it's not just a message series. I believe it's um, a theme for us for 2023. If you remember a couple weeks ago as we started the series, we called it A New Playbook. And in that, we used where God told the children of Israel that you have not been this way before. I'm doing something brand new. Um, and you need to follow my presence. And I believe that, that the Holy Spirit, as he has every year, is, is saying, hey, you haven't been this way before, but follow me. And there was three areas that we are focusing in on this year, one being uh, the area of healing. We believe that God is still in the healing business um, and that it's his will to bring healing into your life. The second area is the area of deliverance. Um, if you look at the culture in which we live, um, you, I, I think we can all agree that, that there's uh, some deliverance, and I'm not talking about that movie either, Deliverance. Uh, I, I, come on, y'all, smile. Some of y'all are like, that took you way back, didn't it? Uh, that's not what I'm talking about, but I'm, I'm saying that we are called to set the captive free. It's part of our assignment. And the third area is the area of discipleship, that we're going to go deeper into the things of God. Um, that was our week one message. And then last week, I was trying to encourage you guys as we, we kicked off seven days of prayer and fasting, and we preached a message called Fasting for Breakthrough. Um, and let me say this about fasting so that we don't get mixed up on, on what fasting and prayer is. Fasting and prayer is not you and I twisting God's arm to get him to do what we want. Fasting and prayer brings us into alignment with what heaven wants to do. That's what fasting does. It's not you twisting God's arm so you get what you want. It's, it's about getting our life into alignment with God's purpose in the earth. And nothing gives the flesh a black eye or puts the flesh um, where it needs to be quicker than fasting and prayer. Uh, and so I, I just want to encourage you in that, that sometimes the breakthrough will happen while you're fasting and praying, but I believe that there will be breakthrough that you'll experience this year that will be connected to the seven days you devoted to push the plate back and say, God, I want you and your purpose more than I want food. How many believe there'll be breakthrough all year long? I believe that. 
Now, today we're going to conclude the series, um, and I want to talk to you about this thought, exposing Satan's greatest fear. Exposing Satan's greatest fear. And I'm not going to preach long today, so I need you to lean in for about 28 minutes. You guys got 28 minutes? Because my assignment's very clear. Give, give them this message, get out of the way, get them in an altar. All right? So hit your neighbor and say, you're going to respond today. All right? You're going to respond. Um, and so I want you to lean in for the next 28 to 30 minutes. Um, and I'm not going to preach long. I want you to see something from three different verses, from three different gospels, that will help encourage you and build your faith. And I want to read Matthew chapter 10, verse 1 first. It says, Jesus called his 12 disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. Mark's gospel, chapter 6, verse 7, calling the 12 to him, he began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over impure spirits. Luke chapter 10, verse 19. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. So in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, we have Jesus telling his disciples that he has given them authority. The question is, is what was the authority for? The authority was to drive out demons to heal sickness and disease, authority over impure spirits, authority to trample on snakes and scorpions, authority to overcome all the power of the enemy, and nothing will harm us. In Matthew 10, Mark 6, and in Luke 10, this word authority means, in the original language, it means the privilege, the force, the capacity, the competency, the freedom, and the mastery or the delegated influence. So in Christ, how many of you are in Christ today? Okay, about half of y'all in Christ. So we need to do an altar call for the lost. In Christ, you have been given authority, which means you have the privilege, the force, the capacity, the freedom, the mastery, and the delegated influence to drive out demons heal sickness and disease, trample on snakes and scorpions, and to overcome all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall harm you. Anybody receive those verses today? I receive these verses today. Now, before I get into the points, I only have three points for you today. I don't have a poem, so three points, no poem. But I want to tell a story real quick to help set up where I think God wants us to go. And um, I'll start with, with this part of it. General Jonathan um, Wainwright was the only United States general captured by the enemy during World War II. And General Douglas MacArthur left Wainwright in charge in the Philippines with the orders, never surrender, fight to the end. Wainwright tried to obey that order, but the destruction around him forced him to surrender, and he became a prisoner of war in Mongolia. He was a guarded and precious prize. 
Wainwright labored under tremendous guilt. His body began to break down. He became dependent on a cane to move around. In time, though, General MacArthur led the troops to a total victory. MacArthur's troops evicted the the Japanese from island after island. When this happened, prisoners were liberated all over Asia. But Wainwright was held in Mongolia, far away from Tokyo, and his camp commandant was able to keep the truth from him for a while. Wainwright continued to behave as a prisoner of war. I can imagine this morning the commandant in charge of watching Wainwright after Japan's surrender because he knew that eventually they would be switching places. He must have trembled at the thought of facing a captive who would soon be his captor. This fully armed, properly fed commandant with more than adequate military force at his disposal was afraid of this weak man, this, this guy who uh, was limping at this point. And the, the question we must ask is, why was he afraid? Because his power over him was based on a lie. His authority over them was based on a lie. And I want to say to people today that are listening, not only in the room, but those that are online, if the enemy has power in your life or over your life, you need to know that power is based on a lie. Those of you who feel like you're at the enemy's mercy, who feel that you are a victim, like you don't have the power or the authority to get up or to change a circumstance, that power is based on a lie. I can imagine this, this commander who's watching over Wainwright that he's thinking to himself, has he found out the truth yet? Because once he finds out the truth that they have actually won the war, then we're going to be switching places. And the only reason he was able to keep Wainwright as a prisoner of war was based on a lie. Wainwright had been liberated. He just didn't know it yet. You guys probably know where I'm headed with this, but how many believers are still acting as if they are prisoners of war, victims of Satan's strategies because they do not know the truth. And I came to remind everybody this morning that the enemy has already been defeated. He's already been defeated. Why are you giving him power over you when Jesus said, all power has been given unto me? I have defeated death hell and the grave. I have been given all authority and I am now giving you the keys. I am giving you the authority. You are a child of God. You are called. You are anointed. You are powerful. You don't have to live as if you are a prisoner of war. To live like that means you are believing a lie. But today the lie is broken in the name of Jesus. You're going to rise up and be everything God has called you to be. You're not a victim. Come on somebody. If you, come on Put, put a little faith in the atmosphere today. I'm not, I'm breaking the box. I'm shifting that. We don't have to live like that. Just like Wainwright, this is a common theme throughout Scripture. The same thing happened in Egypt in the Old Testament. Pharaoh was the supreme ruler of Egypt. And he only answered to himself. But he had this nagging fear. This nagging fear. What was the nagging fear in Pharaoh's life? The same as the devil's nagging fear. 
And that is Exodus chapter 1, verses 9 and 10. Look at what Pharaoh said. It said, look, he said to his people, the Israelites have become far too numerous for us. Come, we must deal shrewdly or wisely with them, or they will become even more numerous, and if war breaks out, will join our enemies, fight against us, and leave the country. You see, Pharaoh's nagging fear is that the children of Israel would find out who they really are. And I find this interesting. What kind of people was Pharaoh afraid of? Because when you look at the children of Israel, they possessed no great economic power. They didn't have a strong army. They were not allies of Egypt's powerful enemies. They were shepherds, and the most powerful weapon they had was a staff. Yet he was so afraid of them because the reason he was afraid is because if they ever find out who they really are. Satan's greatest fear is that you and I figure out who we really are. And we start acting like it. If you ever find out who you really are. And what God has made available to you, you are now exposing Satan's greatest fear. See, no one hates the truth more than a liar. Have you ever noticed that? No one hates truth more than a liar. And Satan is the ultimate liar. He lies. He wants to keep us ignorant. He wants to keep us in a, in a lack of understanding of the truth. And and I've spent a lot of time talking about deliverance already this year. And we're going to see a lot of people set free by the power of God. It is God's will that the captives be set free. But I want you to understand this morning that deliverance isn't so much a power encounter as it is a truth encounter. The truth. What, What does the scripture say? In John 8, 32, it says, you will know the truth. And the truth will set you free. Satan's greatest fear is the same as Pharaoh's. His uncontrollable fear is that the church of the Lord Jesus Christ will discover that it is much mightier than he is. He's literally scared that that we as believers will fully understand the practical implications of the truth. And that is 1 John 4 verse 4. You dear children are from God and and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. He's afraid that the people of God and the church of the living God will discover that we are actually in a war, that we will join forces in that war with God and his angels. And just so everybody's on the same page, only one-third of the angels fell with Satan, which means two-thirds are still with God, which means there's double the amount for us as there are against us and it's time that we engage in a war I've read the end of the book we win baby but we don't have to wait till we get to heaven to enjoy the victory we can start imposing the victory now come on church give him a praise come on give him a praise this morning so so if all that is true how does a nation end up living in bondage how does a church how do believers end up in bondage. How does it happen? I'll tell you how. Satan has a threefold plan. These are my three points. I've got 16 minutes. Number one, he deceives. 
Satan's primary way of working against you and I is through deception. He always works through deception. The the Israelites in the Old Testament were never really slaves of Pharaoh, but he convinced them they were. The Bible tells us that that he dealt with them shrewdly or wisely. The key to understand his deception comes from Exodus chapter number 1, verse number 6. You're going to think, how does that apply? But I'm going to make it make sense for you. It says, now Joseph and all his brothers and all that generation died. So I want you to see this. Those who had firsthand knowledge of their real status with God died. The truth of God that had been passed down from one generation to the next, somewhere in the transfer, somewhere between passing the baton from one generation to the next, truth was compromised. Pharaoh never wielded a weapon. He simply hid the truth from them. And he became the master of more than two million people through their ignorance. The same thing is happening in the church today. The Bible speaks to us uh, from the early apostles in 1 John chapter 1. Look at this. It says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched. This we proclaim concerning the word of life. I want you to notice the apostles are saying that which we have experienced, that which we saw, we touched, we experienced. We're, we're not passing down something we didn't experience. It's something that we had an experience in and we're passing it down. It says the life appeared, we have seen it, and we testify to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ, and we write this to make our joy complete. Notice the transfer. That which we have heard and seen with our own eyes, that which we have looked at and and our hands have touched, What we have experienced in God, we are now making known to you. There is a transfer happening, and I don't want you to miss this, because the greatest thing that you and I can pass down to the next generation is not an inheritance of money. The greatest thing we can pass down to the next generation is not an inheritance of land or property or sports or hobbies. The greatest thing that we can pass down from one generation to the next is a true experience with God. And I'm not talking about knowledge through someone else's experience. I'm talking about an experience that you have had with God that you passed down to the next generation. I'm not talking about, yeah, grandma knew God, and grandma knew how to cast devils out, and grandma knew how to pray for the sick, and grandma knew how to pray until the prodigals come home, and I'm going to try to pass down what grandma had to the next generation. No, the baton will be dropped if you're trying to pass down to the next generation something you haven't experienced. And I can look around our nation right now, and And I'll tell you the problem is that we have not passed down an experience with God to the next generation. But God help us that we get an experience with God that we can pass down to the next generation. I can't pass down what I've not experienced. I can't give what I don't have. If I've not experienced God, I can't pass that down. 
As the record goes from one generation to the next, the possibility always exists for the present generation to fail to grasp the significance of the message delivered by the previous generation. Much of what we see in our world is because one generation did not pass down their experience in God. A young boy came to his mother one day and said, Mom, you know that vase that you said was passed down from generation to generation? Well, this generation just dropped it. And I think that has happened when it comes to our relationship with God. We have, and, and, and here's the problem with failing to pass down an experience with God and the power of God to the next generation. Instead of owning it and making it right, we have devised respectable ways to explain our spiritual misery and anemia. We say things like, God doesn't do that anymore. Even preachers, I heard somebody, well, God's not really healing anymore. Stop preaching. God's not, not, you know, he just doesn't do that kind of stuff. That was, that was for the Bible. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that stopped. We say things like deliverance isn't necessary. We just need more counseling. And I'm for counseling. There are times that's exactly what's in order. But I've also learned you can't counsel a devil out. And I don't say that in a mean way. If it's a devil, if it's a demon, you're not going to counsel your way out of it. It's got to be driven out. But thankfully, we just read three verses that said we've been given authority to drive demons out. We try to explain away the scriptural promises of God. We take new converts and we convince new converts that the Bible doesn't mean what it says. I've, I, I am learning, even through our compass class and the discipleship strides we're, we're trying to make, it's easier to disciple a person who has no church experience and knows nothing about the Bible than it is some of the people who've been in church their whole life. You say, well, how's, that, how's it better for them to know nothing? Because I don't have to spend, you know, six months just breaking bad theology off. Or the, they interpret Scripture through their experience, and so you just got to keep digging away and digging away. And you take someone who's never been in church, never opened up a Bible, you can tell them, look at it, read it, believe it, and do it, and they just do it. They don't have to unlearn. They can just walk in it. So Satan deceives second. I got nine minutes. He dominates. He dominates. Deception always breeds domination. In Exodus 1.11, it says, Therefore they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with their burdens. Pharaoh abused them to the point that he made them feel, think, and act like prisoners of war. In other words, because he hid the truth from them through deception, he was able to exert dominion over them. The result of deception and dominion is a victim mentality. When we've been deceived and he's exerted uh, dominance over us, we start living in a victim mentality. What is a victim mentality? It's when you can't get up and you say, I'll never get up. This, this circumstance hasn't changed and it's never going to change. We start saying things about the sickness or 
the bondage or the, the circumstance, we start saying things like, it is what it is. And so we learn to live in the box. Anybody ready to break the box? I just need to know. Anybody ready to break the box? Like, he, he, he deceives and then he dominates. And he will even cause us to confuse trials and burdens. We begin to see God as a taskmaster. And so we, we lose the joy of our relationship with God. He afflicts us with hard labor to the point that we become so preoccupied with our own misery that we lose sight of our purpose on the earth. We allow the enemy to deceive us, which then becomes the enemy having dominion over us. There is a difference between a burden and a trial. They're not the same thing. A trial brings the necessary grace you need to endure it. Burdens are meant to destroy. A trial is like undergoing surgery at a hospital. A burden is like being stabbed by a mugger in a dark alley. The difference between the two is intent. The doctor cuts that he might bring healing. The mugger stabs that he might bring death. When we misunderstand what is going on in our lives, we eventually get bitter because we become dominated. The, the, God's word becomes good advice instead of good news. Satan deceives and then he dominates. And I'm thankful that no matter what trial, if it's a burden, God's going to destroy it. But if it's a trial, God will give me the grace that I need to walk through that trial. How many are thankful for the grace that enabled you to walk through a dark season? He deceives, he dominates, and number three, last point, he destroys. Worship team, come help me. Y'all are like, how did he preach that fast? I told you, my assignment was very clear. Preach it and then pray for people. Deception, dominion, and then he destroys. In Exodus chapter 1, verse 16, it says, When you are helping the Hebrew women during childbirth on the, on the delivery stool, if you see that the baby is a boy, kill him. But if it is a girl, let her live. This was Pharaoh's instructions. And the genius, I don't want to give credit to the enemy, but the genius of his scheme was that Pharaoh combined death with life. A Hebrew son would be killed, but a Hebrew daughter would be allowed to live. And Satan many times tries to kill our hopes for present-day victory while allowing us to look for a glorious someday. He wants you to remain hopeless while on the earth. He wants to keep you in a perpetual state of thinking, this is how it's going to be. Satan loves to postpone your joy, postpone your breakthrough, postpone your happiness, postpone your miracle. So he keeps you hopeless in the moment, looking for a glorious day that, he, that, that will never come because he's always postponing. And I grew up in a church, some of you can relate to this, I grew up in a church that... They didn't like teach it like verbatim, but there was an overall sense of we're really not going to be happy until we get over there. We're really not going to have joy until we get over there. We're, never, we're, we're, not, we're not going to be healed until we get to heaven. We're not going to be delivered until we get to heaven. We're not, we're not going to have purpose until we get to heaven. Everything was like, you're going to make it to heaven, and that's great. And we're all, how many are thankful you're on your way to heaven? Anybody thankful? Like, I am thankful for that. But the entire message was, you're just going to have to be miserable until you get there. 
But that's not what Jesus taught. He didn't say you're going to be miserable all the days of your life and then you're going to get to heaven and then you're not going to be miserable. It's not what the Bible teaches. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so we, what happens is, is we postpone our breakthrough and say when we get on the other side or when we get through this miserable life, then we'll be happy. Then we'll experience God. But I feel like I need to encourage some people today that you don't have to live with a perpetual mentality of it is what it is. I, I sense, I don't have time to teach this, but the Holy Spirit is referred to in the Old as the spirit of the breaker. I'm not just preaching break the box because it's a great cliche or tagline. I'm telling you the Holy Spirit wants to get involved and he wants to break the box and he wants to help you get outside of the lines and the limitations that the enemy has brought against you that's tried to keep you miserable, to keep you in a perpetual state of it'll never get any better than this. Listen, the children of Israel were, they were underneath this, this Pharaoh who kept the truth from them. They're deceived they're being dominated, but all of a sudden, they changed their perspective and they got their eyes off of Pharaoh and they turned their eyes unto God and they began to pray unto God for God to deliver them. And the Bible says that God heard their cry. They stopped complaining about the situation and they started praying about the situation. They stopped settling for a life of limitation and they decided we're going to break out of the box. And I've been preaching this for three weeks because I want you to see beyond the box you've been living in. No more deception. No more being dominated. No more allowing the enemy to destroy God's purpose in your life. You need to know who you are in Christ. You are a child of God. You've been given authority. You are the head and not the tail. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. No weapon formed against you is going to be able to prosper. Come on, somebody. You're anointed. You're called. You're chosen. You're fire baptized. Come on. You, you, you got the anointing on your life that destroys yokes and removes burdens. Why are you living all yoked up? Why are you living all boxed up? God wants to break the box in your life. He wants to break the box. Stand all over this room today. And as you stand, give him the best praise you can right now. Come on, take about 20 seconds. Give God some praise if you're ready to break out of the box. Give him some praise if you're ready to get outside of the lines. I'm so, so amazing at what God wants to do. And I'm pumped up about what he wants to do. Listen, look, it's 11.59. I did it in 29 minutes. I'm going to ask the prayer team to go ahead and come forward. And I want you to even use the front and kind of spread. I, I'm fully expecting people to respond to this altar. Not like three people. I'm fully expecting this to be a time. Nate, you can come get this. Thank you, sir. Where people say, you know what? Last week, I, I didn't think I would ever be a person who prayed and fasted and PC got up there and preached and had these cards and here I am signing up for a fast. 
How many would say this past week you had some struggles to overcome over the seven days? Anybody have some struggles you had to overcome? Not only, how many know, not only do you get God's attention when you pray in fact, you get the devil's attention. He notices. Some of y'all, yeah. He noticed. And he came at you. Why, why did he come at Because he wanted to keep, he wants to keep you in that box. He wants to say, you can come this far, no further. Bethesda Church, it's time to break the box. I've been preaching on this for three weeks, and I believe there are people in this room that this is a moment for you. Because a lot of times, we come to these moments and we think, you know, if God would just move, if God would just move, if God would just move. And I think a lot of times when, while we're sitting there saying, if God would just move, if God would just move, God was saying, if you would just move. Listen, I don't, I don't want to be rude or anything, but I'm, I'm going to be coming down to pray for people. Our prayer team's going to be praying for people. I don't know what all God's going to do in this altar, but I believe if you're struggling with addiction, it can be broken off your life today. I believe if you're sick in body, you can be healed. I believe if you need anxiety uh, or fear or depression, listen, the enemy brings all that mess into your life, and God wants to set you free so that you can live in peace. I believe that as you move, as you make a step, and I'm, I'm going to be bold enough to say that if you need a breakthrough in any area of your life, you're not going to get it just sitting there. You're going to have to put one foot in front of the other. You're going to have to take a step. As you step, God's going to meet you. And I believe there is breakthrough in this room today. Anybody believe there is breakthrough in this room today? I'm going to get ready. Worship team, hurry and get in place. Get ready, get ready. Listen, on the count of three, every person who's ready to break out of the box, I want you to move. One, two, three. Get out of your seat. Come forward. We want to pray with you this morning. Thanks for listening to this week's message from Bethesda Church. We hope you'll stay connected by following us online. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and our website, BethesdaChurch.tv. Thank you for joining us and have a great day.